to the book of Genesis, chapter 46. Just a few more weeks together in what has been a long journey through the book of Genesis. We're coming to the conclusion of the story of the last of the patriarchs, Joseph. This morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 46, focusing especially on the first seven verses. So I'd like to begin our reading this morning here, up a few verses in, ver- in chapter 45 at verse 25 for context. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Genesis, beginning at chapter 45, verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods which they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we, we ask this morning, Lord, that you would bless us by the power of your word. We thank you, O Lord, that your word has power. For it was written by you, O Lord, God the Holy Spirit carrying along men to give us eternal truth, to give us hope. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would teach us from your word. Teach us what we are to know, what we are to do, 
and how, O Lord, we can love You more for all that You have done for us. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. What do you do when you are afraid? You know, I thank the good Lord and His providence for giving us a a dark Sunday morning. I've even heard a couple of claps, thunder in the background. It's a good background to remind ourselves that there are times when, when we can be afraid. And even if we're not afraid of darkness or thunder, and we think that is a childish thing, something for children to be afraid of, we have to understand that there are things that make all of us afraid. One answer to fear is to simply pretend it doesn't exist. To go on, just say, I won't think about that. I'll distract myself from the things that I'm afraid of. Another answer to fear, I think, often is to say to ourselves that we can handle it. We know what we're doing. We'll just have to work harder and better and more efficient and faster. And when we do that, the things that we are afraid of won't bother us. But you see, neither of these solutions are what the Bible teaches us about fear. We're not to pretend that the things that make us afraid don't exist. We're not to think that we can conquer our fears all by ourselves. But this morning we see in the incident of the life of Israel that what the Lord tells us is to acknowledge our fears and understand there are things that make us afraid. And to go to Him. And He will make provision for us. He will take away that fear. He will help us to conquer that fear, knowing that we can trust in Him. And so this morning, as we look at one of the final incidents in the life of Israel, I'd like us to see three things about our fears. The first thing we will see is that Israel has fear. It is a truism to say that we are having fears. And the second thing we will see is what it means to be facing those fears. And then thirdly, we will see how we can be about conquering those fears. Having fears, facing fears, and conquering fears. Well, let's begin then by recounting for ourselves what it means to be Israel, formerly Jacob, at this point in time. He is a man who's led a long and difficult life. And he has fears now at this point. It's obvious he's lived a life full of past hurt. He's lived with his own inability. Think of what it is like to be a young Jacob. He had tried so hard to earn his father's love. He tried so hard to get dad to love him as much as mom did. But dad didn't really have time for him. Esau was dad's boy. Esau was the man's man. Esau brought Isaac things that he enjoyed and liked. And perhaps it would have seen that the more Jacob made an effort, the more miserable he would be. The hurt would be there because 
He wanted to have that special place in his father's heart. Now, I haven't just described the life of a patriarch several thousand years ago. For many of you, I am dredging up difficult memories, aren't I? How you wanted that place in your father's or your mother's heart that just seemed elusive. And you wondered, is it me? Is there something wrong with me? What can I do to fix me? There's a fear that comes from this kind of inability. And it gets worse for Jacob because he then strikes out on his own, fleeing for his life. And he does something that many of you have also done. He begins to go into business. He enters the Laban Sheep and Livestock Corporation. And he works harder than he has ever worked before. And he's sure that he's going to get success. Because now, not only is he working hard, but he's come to know the Lord. And surely now the Lord will bring me success. Isn't that what God does? God should make it so that everything my hand touches will prosper. And then comes the shock of the wedding night. And the wrong woman is married. And the seven-year plan just became a 14-year plan. And so Jacob knows he doesn't have it all together. Now he wonders what will happen in the next seven years. What will happen to me as I need to make my way in life? His own inability would haunt him. He also lived a life that was full of conflict, didn't he? He had conflict with Esau. He goes to go be with Laban. Guess what? Conflict with Laban. He leaves Laban to go into the land of Canaan. Guess what? Conflict with the Canaanites. It seems that everywhere he turns, he has people who want to go to battle with him. You can imagine what that would do for his confidence. What am I doing here, Lord? Who will I come up against next? And then, obviously, his family does not turn out as he wanted it to. I think the Bible strikes a chord here again with many of us. Isn't it true that the older we get, mingled with joy is regret? We wonder, why couldn't we have just lost a little more weight over the years? Why couldn't we have a little more in the bank account? Why couldn't the kids be one level higher in school? And we wonder... What the future holds for us. And this would be what would happen to Jacob. He's lived a relatively miserable life with respect to his family. He couldn't save his beloved wife. Rachel dies. And then his children are bickering and fighting all the time. And then Joseph is taken from him. Have you noticed that from Genesis 37 on, about every time Jacob talks in that sentence is, I'm going to die. Over and over again. It's like he can't wait to die. It's the only thing he can think of. He's gripped by fear. This man of action now fades into the background and all he can think about is dying. Do you feel that way at times? Now you say to me, no, Pastor, I've never thought of dying. I wouldn't possibly think of that. Well, let me go just a little bit less and press the point. Have you ever had one of those days, one of those weeks, where you go to bed at 7 o'clock in the evening because you just can't face the rest of the day? Or you can't get out of bed in the morning 
Or you sit and you eat more than you should because you're trying to distract yourself. You see, we all have those kinds of days when we're afraid of what the future will bring because, you see, the future is uncertain before us. Even though we have the promises of God and the Word of God, we do not have a detailed roadmap, do we? You know, when we travel long distances, especially, I'm thankful for technology and for the GPS. But even though I plug in where I'm going, I don't trust the GPS to just take me there. I love that button that brings up the step-by-step directions so that I can read through them and make sure the the GPS is going to take me the right way. And I think that's what we want for our lives, don't we? When we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we have put our trust in Him alone to bring us to God and reconcile us to God, we put Virtually speaking, in the GPS, the destination of glory in heaven. But that doesn't satisfy us, does it? We want to know where, what twists and turns we will take, where we will live, the jobs we will have, the people we will meet. Give me the step-by-step list, Lord, so I know if I'm lost and I can get back on the path. And this is what's happening now in spades to Jacob because... His future is very uncertain. He has been shocked with the news that Joseph is now alive. And the good news is, Father, come down to Egypt. Now, we think of that in the story and we think that's a no-brainer. Land with famine. Your son is in charge of the wealthiest kingdom in the world. Of course, go be with him. He can take care of you. He's better than a 401k plan. Go down. But you see, that's not the context that Israel lives in. You have to remember here that Egypt was not just a pagan nation. It was a very pagan nation. They had a God for just about everything. They were a place of culture and wealth, but also of ignorance, especially to a man like Israel who knew and had spoken with the living God. They had all of these gods strung out, and they had morals that were horrible. Think about everything that Joseph put up with in Egypt. And that was at the best echelons of society. Lying, adultery, stealing, thieving, murder. And now, God is calling Israel to this place? This can be fearful for us too, can't it? We don't have to go down to Egypt. We look at our land and we see a land becoming more and more pagan. And it becomes a place of future uncertainty. And if we're not careful, it can cause us to worry morning, noon, and night for our children and grandchildren. Because it seems so obvious that things are not getting better. Egypt also held bad memories for Israel. Remember what his family history is with Egypt. Abraham went down to Egypt and he fell. He lied. He almost lost Sarah because of his lack of trust in the Lord. And so difficult was this that Israel's father, Isaac, was forbidden from going down to Egypt. 
This is a very uncertain place. It's a pagan place with bad memories. And in the background there also, you cannot forget, is there is a warning of future trouble in Egypt. I think it is a certainty that Israel knows Genesis 15, 13. I can't imagine that Abraham did not pass that down to Isaac and Isaac to him. You remember Genesis 15, 13. Warnings that the people of God would suffer for hundreds of years in Egypt. All of this would be going through the mind of Jacob. There's one last fear that he has that I think also strikes very close to us. Well, some of us. Jacob is old. And that itself brings fears. The older we get, the less we like change. Right? The older you get, you tend to buy just the new version of the last car you had. And the newer version of the same TV you had. And you like the same kind of house. I think nearly every house I have owned has been about the same architecturally. One of my favorite sayings to my wife is, what I like is exactly the same, but new. If you want to know what to get me, whether it's a bathrobe or pajamas or a coat or a shirt, look at what I have and just get it new. I don't like change. Change is scary, isn't it? When things happen to us, when we have to move, or or when things come our way that unsettle us. And we're very aware of this, I think. See, I'm not just speaking to those of you that are repurposed, who have completed one career and are on to a next. I'm speaking to all of you probably post-college. I was struck by this last night as I looked in the mirror to comb my hair and realized just how much gray hair I have. I mean, I knew I had gray hair, but I always thought it was kind of salt and pepper. And then I looked over here and it's nearly all white. And I said, you know, I'm probably closer to death than birth. You know, I need to start thinking about my life. And the habits I have and the things that I do. Because before I know it, I'm going to be facing the Lord. You see, we think about that all the time with kids. They're gone in a blink, right? They grow up so fast. But have you thought about your own life that way too? That before you know it, you will be standing before your Creator, the living God. Are you prepared to do that? You see, when you do that, The things you built, the money you made, the children you raised, don't matter at all. There's only one thing that matters. And that is, are you covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so if you are not covered by that blood today, whether you are 4 or 84, you must flee to the cross That is the way to conquer that fear of the unknown and being old. You see, this is what Jacob does here now. He has all of this baggage from the past. He is frail. He sees the end of his days approaching and he faces the fears head on. 
Look with me here at verse 1 of 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Now, think about that. Some of you have had the experience of having to move relatives, parents or grandparents, out of the home they've lived in their whole life. You know how hard that is? You know when your grandfather or grandmother are in ill health, they're up in their late 80s, and they insist on living in the five-bedroom house that was built in 1920, because that's where they've always lived. And you say, well, no, we need to... We, why don't you move in with us? Or why don't you move in with sister? Or why don't we bring you closer to us? And how hard it is to do that. Could you imagine leaving the promised land at that age? What obedience here from Israel? He leaves behind all his comfort. He leaves behind everything he had thought of. And he obeys the word of God. He gets up. Here is a man who has spent the last 20 years talking about when he's going to die. The next big one is coming about every other week. And he packs himself up and all of his things and he says, I'm going to leave Canaan and go to Israel. Before he had no hope and now he is invigorated. What is causing this? Well, I think certainly it is that Joseph has come back to life. But think about what that means. It's not just that Joseph is alive. It means that God is in control. As those wagons roll in and all of that wealth rolls in, it doesn't just tell Israel, my son is alive. It says my son is alive and he has power and he has wealth just like God predicted back in Genesis 37. Just like God said, God is good. And so he gets up and he responds to the providence of God in his life And he responds to the word of the Lord in the dream that came to Joseph. And he trusts God and he acts upon it. He journeys to Beersheba. And he leaves nothing behind. He trusts the Lord wholly with everything that he is and everything that he has. And he goes to the farthest point that you can possibly go. You need to picture in your mind's eye the way that the Middle East looks. Beersheba is the last part of Canaan that you get to before the desert. And then after the desert, you get to Egypt. This is it. This is the crossroads. This is the place where everything changes. It's also a critically important place for Israel. It was a place that was important for Abraham. It was a place that was important for Isaac. Isaac built an altar here. It may even be that as we see in a minute, when Israel sacrifices, he dusts off dad's altar. How can he do this? Well, in one word, it's obedience. But in another word, it's faith. You see, the Bible talks a lot about faith and obedience and brings them together so often, so often that sometimes people are confused 
And they think that we are saved by what we do because we have to have obedience. But you see, what the Bible says is you must obey and the only way you can obey is by faith. The only way that you can do what you need to do is to trust the Lord to work in you. The only way that you are capable is if you trust that the Lord has changed you. You see, these two things go together. Without faith, you cannot have any obedience. And without obedience, you don't have real faith. You cannot separate these things. There is a famous statement from the Reformation that is well worth memorizing all of you. A faith which saves is alone. But it is never alone. Faith alone saves. But it is never alone. That is, only by faith are we saved. But you can't have faith and say, I'll hold the side of obedience. It comes as part of the whole package. God in His grace gives it to us. And this is what He does here for Israel. Israel gets up and He goes. And He responds. And He begins then to seek the Lord. He doesn't just journey to Beersheba. He then begins to offer sacrifices to the God of His father Isaac. There's another important lesson here. Faith needs God. You don't have faith and that solves the problem and then you go on your merry way and you don't need God anymore because He's resolved all the issues. Faith is a journey. We begin with faith and we continue with faith. As we have faith, it is faith in the Lord. It is a trust. Faith is absolutely not the boldness to face any situation unafraid. If you think the only way you can be a good Christian is to never be afraid, you don't read the Bible. All throughout the Bible it speaks of don't be afraid, don't be afraid, fear not. Some of you have served in the armed forces. Some of you have served in conflict. What is courage under fire? When the battle is raging, is courage not being afraid? You don't need to tell me your story, but I know if you were in battle, you were afraid. Courage is acting in spite of fear. It is trusting the Lord to carry you through. It is not pretending there is no fear. It is saying, I will not allow fear to master me because I am owned by another. It is not recklessness. And you see, this is what Israel does. Faith seeks God so that he can act. And he begins then to offer up a sacrifice. He goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, I need help here. I'm afraid. I'm not sure what to do. Now, this is the only way that he's gotten to this point. Do you remember at all of the previous critical points in his life that God was there? When he was run out of his own home, He he is at Bethel and he has this vision of the ladder and he seeks the Lord and he seeks God's wisdom. When he's coming back and he's at the brook Jabbok and he doesn't know whether he will live or die, whether Esau will destroy everything he has, he wrestles with God and he finds comfort in the word of the Lord. When you are afraid today, 
Have you forgotten the past? Have you forgotten all of the times you were afraid and God brought you through it? You see, that is also the life of faith. We move, as the scripture says, from faith to faith. From incident to incident as our faith grows and we look at what God has done in the past and we trust Him because of that. Faith acts as Israel offers up this sacrifice. Now, why would he do this? I think there are at least a few reasons. And think about this in your own life. The first thing he wants to do is, I think, purge the sin of his family. He is offering up an atoning sacrifice at this time. He wants to remind himself that he is a sinner and that he needs a great Savior. So this is what he does. He goes to the Lord. And then secondly, I think he wants to give thanksgiving to the Lord for delivering him. I mean, in the midst of all of this fear, the other emotion that is running through there is he's probably the happiest he's ever been in his life. And what do you do? But you give thanks to the Lord. And then I think the third thing that he does that we need to really learn from is that he's seeking the mind of God. I mean, think about this. He hasn't gotten a directive from God that says go to Egypt. It seems to make perfect sense, doesn't it? Except for he's going to be leaving the promised land. He's going to be going into a foreign nation. He's going to be taking his family to a place where he doesn't know. What do you do in this point? What Israel does is he seeks God. He needs help. And this is true for you and for me as well. When we face difficult decisions, we need to seek the Lord's will. Now, praise be to God that we have an entire book full of his will. Israel didn't. But when you face major decisions in your life, do you seek the Lord in prayer and in his word? Do you go to God before you decide to take that job? Or to go to that school. Or to move to that house. It would be foolish not to. This is the way that faith begins to work on our fears. And we can begin to face our fears. And then our fears are conquered. We conquer our fears through the Lord and His work. In knowing Him and in trusting Him. Now, you have to understand here the context of what Israel is doing. It is a mingling of fear and of faith. Israel is not just a scaredy cat, afraid of his own shadow, hiding in the corner, and the family needs to drag him to Egypt, kicking and screaming. But he's also not some kind of bold man, completely unaware of all of the difficulties of his life. And you see, this is where we live our life, isn't it? We live our life in that area mingled between fear and faith. And what Israel does is he trusts God enough to go to him. He knows he needs the Lord. But I'm sure he is afraid still. Do you know this kind of fear? When you go to God and you're afraid that He won't answer? 
or he won't be clear to you in his answer. That kind of fear grips our hearts. But the only way that we can make it through is to pursue after the Lord. It's just like the Father said to our Lord Jesus. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That is how we must live our life. Not pretending fear doesn't exist. Not thinking we can just push through it. But seeking after, holding on to God. In spite of everything. In spite of all our fears. In spite of all our mistrust. In spite of all of our doubts. Praying and seeking the Lord that He would take those away from us. That He would carry us through. And the Lord steps in here and reminds Israel that He does know Him. He calls Him, Jacob, Jacob. Just what Jacob needs at this time, God provides. I cannot help but be struck by this dual calling of the name. There's three other instances that I can think of. Samuel, as a young man. Abraham, right before he was going to sacrifice Isaac. And Saul, before he became Paul. In each one of these instances, there is a major crisis in the life of one of his children. And God steps in and lets them know that he knows them personally. God does that today. No, 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 I don't expect to hear echoed through the thunder, Fred, Fred. But I know I have his promise in his word. I know that His promise is particular to me. I know that it is one that I can claim. I know that God knows me and will not forsake me ever because He has said this. Do you know that in your heart? That's how we conquer fear. We know that God has stepped in and that God, just when we need it, will affirm His relationship with us. And He says to Jacob, not only calling Him by name, but He reminds Him of who He is. He says, I am God, and I am the God of your Father. He reminds Him of all of the covenant promises that are in the background of this. He says, I know you're going through fears, Jacob. I know you're going through difficult times. Your father did. Your grandfather did. Just as I was with them, I am with you. Do you see this in your life? Do you think back to all of the ways in which God has been faithful in your life, in your family's life, in your parents' life? And does that bring you comfort and confidence in the faithfulness of God? Because you see, on one level, we can read over and over and over again that God is faithful. But we are frail, sinful people. And the memories of how God has been faithful in our life make that promise real to us. It's one of the reasons that that God does this. Israel knows that he knows the Lord and that the Lord knows him. And then he's affirmed that he can trust the Lord. Because God begins to go over the top with him. Look with me at verse 3. He says, I am God, the God of your father. And then he says exactly what Israel wants to hear. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. 
Why? For there I will make you a great nation. He lays out the promise. You don't need to worry about this, Israel. I will make of you a great nation. He gives him his promise, and then he gives him his presence. Look at verse 4. He says, I myself will go down with you. Now, you have to understand what that would mean to him. You see, Jacob might be tempted to think that once he left the promised land, God's land, he would be on his own. And God says, no, I will be with you. Everywhere that you go, your Savior is there. In the deepest, darkest pits, in the scariest of places, the living God has promised you that He will never leave you nor forsake you. God puts it a little bit more personally to Jacob. He says, I myself will go down with you and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. I will bring this to pass, Jacob. Your family will come out just as I have promised and your son whom you love and who you have longed for will live with you all the rest of your days. You see, this is not a prediction of dying that Jacob would be afraid of. This is joy. Jacob now knows that for the rest of his life, his son will be by his side and his son will comfort him in his very last hours. What a precious promise of God. God promises to you and to me in this same way. Let's look at one Final set of verses later on in chapter 46 in conclusion. Look at verses 29 and 30. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good long while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. How good is God? that he brings almost immediately to pass a portion of what he has promised Jacob. You see, God does not just promise and we hope things work out. God promises and he delivers every single time. That is what your faith and hope and trust is in. It is the foundation of our life in Christ that we trust the Lord that as God has promised to take away our sins by this act of vicarious atonement, He will keep His promise. Do you trust the Lord today? Because if you do, you will conquer your fears through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust the triune God. He has been carrying His people through their fears for thousands of years. He will carry you through as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask this morning that You would make Your Word real to us and that it would affect us and our lives. It would not just be something that we would learn knowledge but rather, O oh Lord, that it would shape us. It would change us. It would mold us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask.
In Jesus' name, amen.